It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 707, 75 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden, my friends. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful in your landscape with your gardens, with your pests, with your bugs, with your trees. All you have to do if you have a problem is call me, 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. We'll put you in line. Rachel Perry is here screening calls for a moment, and Jason Byers is bringing us the best garden music in America right here every Saturday morning from 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. Of course, if you have a question about your garden, if you want an organic answer, all you have to do is say, I need the organic control for this, and I'll do my best to find something that is organic for you. And one of the things that I know I oftentimes mention when someone has weed control problems is use Roundup. I say use Roundup because I trust Roundup as a synthetic chemical it does a good job in controlling weeds but what if you don't want to use a synthetic chemical on weed control there are plenty of organic alternatives and i was using one yesterday for a friend in the neighborhood who does not like roundup at all she just believes in not using anything synthetic in her garden or landscape that's fine with me but i happen to have one or two i guess now organic weed control products one uses it's really is a soap. It's a herbicidal soap. And soaps, as you know, many times can be formulated so that they dissolve the waxes on the outside of a leaf. And indeed, that's what this one does. I sprayed it on, oh, let's see, there was some mimosa weed and there was some um, uh, mulberry weed. There was two or three other weird things in the corner of the yard that I sprayed it on. Within an hour, those weeds were turning yellow and brown and drying up because it's a very quick top Top, topical cover, topical uh, uh, foliage killer. And so the herbicidal soap does a fine job, and it is considered an organic weed control problem, product. There's another one that uses citrus oil. Citrus oil does the same thing. It dissolves the waxes on the top of a leaf, lets the, wheat, the uh, leaves dry up and die pretty quickly, and it smells really good, too. That's the other thing about citrus oil is they smell so good. So if you're looking for an organic weed control product, there are some available. If you want to know where to get them, quite frankly, I don't see them on sale at many of the nurseries and, and big box stores and hardware stores around Atlanta. If you want to get them, i tell you how to find them if you want to. is go to my website, walterreeves.com. Type in the word organic herbicide or organic weed killer. And I believe I have, that'll take you to the page and have all the organic products that I have listed, one, two, three, four, and you can choose the one you think is most appropriate for your particular situation. Robert in Dunwoody joins us on Lawn and Garden. Let me get my cursor up here to where Robert is. Hey, Robert, good morning. Good morning. What can I do for you, Robert? Uh, copperhead snakes around my lake house. Ooh. Bit of dog, bit of dog recently. Yeah. The snake deterrents work, or any kind of chemical that can run them into my neighbor's yard, no. out of my yard. No, none of them work. <laughs> Sorry to say, the only thing you can do for a snake to control where they go is to me is to change the environment that they like to an environment they don't like. And so okay. next to a lake, you've got frogs, you've got lizards, you've got things that they eat. So there's going to be snakes there, and some will be venomous and some will not be. Most of them will not be venomous, of course. 
Yes. There's 90 deterrents uh, that work on snakes to, to make them go someplace. If they have lots of log piles, if they have places to hide under the dock, if they're places that you know just give them good cover so they can find their food and find other snakes to play with, things like that, that's what a snake wants. You have to look and see what they like and remove that and make, make them go somewhere else. Okay, I'll, I'll do that and send them to your house. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> I don't have a, a lake or a pond or anything to attract them in my house, so, Robert, they're not coming to my house. I don't Thank think you very much. Would. Thanks for calling, Robert. Coming now, let's see, uh, Judy is in Fayetteville and joins us in Lawn and Garden. Hey, Judy, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, how can uh, I help? My question is about shrubs we have yeah. around our house. There's about 10 of them. Laura Pedalum, one holly, and... Uh, Box. Box. Boxwood is Boxwood, it? sure. Yes. And they're about five feet tall, and we'd like them cut way back. My Ooh. question is, can they all be cut back pretty short? How how way back are we talking, Judy? I'm thinking maybe three feet. You want to cut them back by three feet or down two? Three down feet? two, three. From five down to three. That's not too bad. I think it'll be fine. Lower pedalum is very responsive to pruning, so in other words, it doesn't get harmed too much by pruning. Mm-hmm. The let's see, you had box, you had Laura Petal. What were the other two? Uh, one holly bush, holly bush, and then boxwood. Almost certainly not going to be hurt by pruning. You can't hurt a holly bush hardly okay. any, anyway. The boxwood, eh, that's not going to be so. They've been here about easy. twenty years when the house was built. Yeah, but they didn't like being pruned any time during those twenty years. If I were you. <laughs> If I were you, Judy, I would prune the laurel petalum and the holly to whatever size you like and be done mm-hmm. with it. For, for the boxwood, it might be a little simpler to prune it by about 6 to 12 inches the first time, first go around, wait till mm-hmm. next spring and do another 12 inches off of it. I would be afraid that if you prune a lot off the boxwood, you're going to have this big brown area that's going to be pretty slow to green back up again. It's going to look ugly, frankly, and you don't mm-hmm. want Fayetteville to be all over you about your ugly shrubs. <laughs> so I would say be slow on the boxwood, be anything you want to do to the laurel petalum and the holly. Okay. Now somebody said, well, because we thought about just having having them pulled out and plant sure. new ones, but you they said, that. well, if it's close to the foundation of your house, it can damage the foundation if you do that. Yeah, none of those get entwined and under or anything in the foundation. Now, if it's a really, really big shrub, like the holly, for instance, if it's 12 to 15 feet tall, it's going right next to the foundation, pulling it out sometimes mechanically can push against the foundation concrete blocks there or, you know, just mechanically mm-hmm. might be able to hurt them. But as far as the roots being into the foundation of the concrete there, that's not where the, where the roots go. If they're more than a couple of feet away from the foundation, I don't think there's any worry about it, pulling them down. Okay. All right. Well, I think we'll try cutting back and see how that goes okay. hopefully that will Sounds take good. care of it and uh, i have to tell you i talked to your mother i've talked to your oh. mother in past years and she was a sweet lady my mama was a sweet lovely woman she thought fayette county was a great place to live in she was always as you know very involved in the politics of fayette county and uh, right. i'm sure that folks down there miss seeing her around i do myself miss her miss having her in my family in i'm my sure life. you do i i uh, knew her in the school system because she sold uh, encyclopedias oh yeah world book encyclopedias you could not have a baby in fayette county without my mother coming by within a week and saying you know 
you know it would be a shame for this fine young baby right here to go <laughs> through right. life and not have the wisdom imparted by the World Book Encyclopedia. Wouldn't you like to have a set? We'd do it on time, and you could have a whole set and learn something with the whole family here. Yeah, she was a big yes. proponent of World Book Encyclopedia. She was. Many people received a visit from her, that's for sure. <laughs> they sure did. Thanks okay, for calling, well, thank Judy. Thank you so much for your help. You we will bet. try that. All right. Thanks for okay. calling. Thank we, we got Judith in Decatur. Hey, Judith, good morning. Hello? Hi, Judith, good morning. Uh, it's Joyce. Oh, hey, Joyce. I'm calling about tomatoes. Yes, I'm having the big, tall tomatoes, Yeah. and they're rotting before they get ripe, and some of the bushes are turning completely yellow. What do ah. I do? Pull them up, throw them away, or what? <laughs> it's not maybe that serious quite, but it's getting close. Um, when you say they're rotten before they ripen, is it the yeah the they blossom, they turn the, they just rotten like yeah. juicy juicy wet hanging on the vines, and that, now they're starting to turn and they're still being rotten. I mean, I know about the rot bottom, yeah, but it's right. like the whole plant is rotting itself. Check so and the, see. Go out in I the do? afternoon and check to see if there are many insects that are crawling around your tomatoes. There's two particular ones right now that <clears throat> make a real, real noticeable spot on the side of a tomato, and the rot will spread very quickly. One of them is stink bugs. There are a number of stink bugs that get on tomatoes and make a little spot where they pierce the skin with their nose. The nose is always dirty, and mm -hmm. so they infect the tomato with rot that way. And this other second bug is very common, too. It's called a leaf-footed bug. And they're very common on tomatoes. And like I say, they put their dirty noses inside of the skin. The rot starts. The tomato rottens pretty quickly because it's so warm right now. And you don't have any tomatoes to eat. That's so what do I thing. spray for that? Or do I do, make what sure do you, I do? Yeah, make sure you have them first. We don't just spray because we want to spray. We spray because you see the insect. Okay. And if you see the insect and <clears throat> know that that's what's causing the damage to the tomato, um, there are two or three garden insecticides. Ortho makes one that's called... Ortho vegetable insect spray, I think is the name for it. Ortho vegetable insect spray. And there's seven, seven dust, seven powder, okay. liquid seven, all those work fine. And they kill bugs pretty readily. It, read the label, by the way, Joyce. Make sure you know how long you have to wait after you spray to be sure that you don't have any damage, any poison put into you, of course, and wash them, of course, after you uh, right, harvest right. them. As far as turning yellow, oh, tomatoes right now have. Um, the most common disease, I guess, is called early blight, and it turns the uh, leaves yellow. They have a lot of little black spots all over the leaves, and it starts at the bottom of the mm -hmm. vine, goes up the vine. It did. And that is tough. If it is more than half the vine involved in early blight, it is really, really tough to get it under control. So what do, do I just put it up and let it go? I mean, they are yeah. big, tall plants, yeah. and I've got less tomatoes than I've ever had. Yeah. But... I'm like, wow, what's going on? I, I, as far as whether to pull them up and don't do anything with it, if it's more than half, Joyce, I think that, yeah, more than half means you're not really going to be able to stop the disease. And I think maybe pull them up is about all you what, can do. What, can I plant some more tomatoes? Yes, ma'am, there's but, plenty of time to plant more tomatoes. Not yeah. in that same spot. Well, maybe not the same spot, but if you find another sunny place in the yard, there's plenty of time to get lots of tomatoes before a frost What's comes. the best one to buy? Because I've got the better oh, boys. And celebrity never works really before. well for most people. Celebrity is a really good variety of tomatoes. So easy celebrity? To find. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm saying it wrong. Okay. Celebrity, like uh, the famous people, the celebrities oh, of the okay. world. I got you. I got you. And they do. They are they the ones that keep making tomatoes until they the fall should, come? Yeah, they're sort of a combination of a determinate and indeterminate tomato, and they do. Uh, make tomatoes pretty readily throughout the season without stopping. Yeah, I think okay. you'll be pleased. Yeah. Celebrity. That's the one I'm looking for. All right. Thank you Thank so very much. Enjoy your show. Thanks for calling. It's 719. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Ten in the morning, I was laughing at something at the airport terminal. At nine in the evening, I was sitting crying to you over the phone while passing a border from a state to another. Story of my life, passing through the storm, people crying on the phone. That's indeed. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Saturday, a 60% chance chance of scattered storms. High of 88 degrees today, low of 73 tonight. Mostly cloudy this evening. Sunday, a 60% chance again, but a high of 87, low of 74. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We've got uh, Larry in Mara, Georgia, who joins us. Hey, Mary. Larry, good morning. Hey, good, good morning, Walter. What, um, what's going I on, Larry? I have a problem with gallant craft in my Bermuda. Yeah. Is there any way to get rid of it? Ooh, it's tough. How low are you mowing your Bermuda grass, Larry? Oh, I can't tell you. It's, um, I don't, I don't, I have not measured it. The, the, the answer should be as low as you can and still have a good looking lawn because Dallas grass hates <laughs> being mowed low. And that's one of the ways to control it. The problem with the grass, Dallas grass is a perennial weed, and so there are not any herbicides that really specifically can get rid of it and not hurt the Bermuda grass. You can spot spray if you have just a little bitty place where Dallas grass has started, but if it's all over the lawn, mowing low is one thing to do. Uh, put a pre-emergent out every spring in March so you prevent any seeds from coming up. Fertilize the Bermuda grass so it's really vigorously growing. Mow regularly so, again, it doesn't get high enough to make seed heads for the Dallas grass. And just as a war of attrition more than anything else. Again, there's nothing specific that will take it out of Bermuda grass layer. You just have to keep after it, and eventually it will go away. I've been told that, I've been told that it's uh, pretty emergent. Well, not stop it. It, it will slow it down, but it won't stop it. That's yeah. true. I think that's true. The pre-emergent will keep the seeds from germinating, yes, but they won't start, it won't kill the grass itself. The pre-emergent just prevents it from reseeding again. Keep mowing, make the Bermuda grass happy, and that's the best you can do. It's 728. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.36 and 74 and one half degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape and garden. All you have to do to be more successful is ask questions of people who might know a little bit more. 
I know a tad more than a lot of people, but boy, I still have a lot to learn. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750 gets you in to get your garden question answered and be on your way this morning. Tony in Roswell joins us this morning. Hey, Tony, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Hey. Um, my question is regarding a mature uh, flowering cherry tree that's um, losing its leaves midsummer. Um, yeah. we, we, I've been in the house two years. This is my second summer. So I don't have a history on the tree, but uh, it, it did the same thing last summer. It, 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 it blossomed out in late March. It leafed yeah. out fully. Uh, then by the 1st of June, it started dropping its leaves. By the end of July or 1st of August, it was bare, and it's heading the same way this year. Sure. Uh, the tree could be 30 or 40 years old. I don't know. And I guess my question is, can, can this tree be maybe at the end of its life cycle where I should probably take it down and start over? It's probably 20 feet tall. 20 feet wide and the, yeah. and the base of the um of the trunk is probably 14 to 16 inches so yeah. it's it still a looks pretty tree. though it bloomed nicely this spring still looks pretty then before the leaves all fell off exactly then it's messy all summer yeah. because it's, it's dropping leaves and that's my it's really the the only tree we have in the front yard of our house yeah uh, it's a beautiful we have a beautiful zoysia lawn i have a dogwood near there that thrives and other shrubs do so it's just primarily the tree itself is the one that I'm really concerned with. You know, you, you remind me, Tony, that one of the things that I will miss now that my mother has passed and I'm not going every week down to Fayetteville to see her is on Highway 92 between, um, I guess, between uh, 138 and Fayetteville, there's a stand of cherry trees that when I would go past her house, I would note every year how early or how late it was before those cherry trees all dropped their leaves, just like you have. Oh. Because so it's common. Oh, so it's, it's common. been ten years or so since I first started noticing it, and I went to those trees in particular and took pictures of the leaves of those cherry trees to see what was going on, and diagnosed it. Had it diagnosed as a very easy to understand disease called cherry tree leaf spot. Okay, if you go look some of the newly fallen leaves, you'll see they're yellow and have lots of little black spots all over them. And so, cherry tree leaf spot, yeah, Tony, has become more common over the last five to ten years, I guess. And the way to control it is not to take down your cherry tree, but it still has life left in it, but it is messy and ugly and unsightly in the middle of the summer. If it doesn't have any leaves on it, what's, you know, what's the use? Right. So right. the thing to do is to break the cycle of fungal infection, which means that the fungi that infect the leaves in the spring actually overwinter on the leaves that fell during the fall. Right. And so your job, as best you can do this, is to remove the leaves from under the tree as soon as you can or as best you can before the fall eventually comes and all the trees have lost all their leaves. Try to get okay. all the leaves from under the cherry tree out, gone, not composted, but just totally removed from your landscape and replace the area underneath with fresh mulch at least so you don't have a way of the fungi that's in the soil from splashing up or somehow wafting up on the spring breezes onto the lower leaves of the tree. So breaking the okay. cycle, trying to get the fung fungally infected leaves out of there is probably the best you can do. There are not many effective sprays. It's hard to get the sprays up in the tree, so it might be better just to work on environmental stuff first. Okay, I'll give it one more year. Well, I'll give it two. Come on, Tony. <laughs> give it a couple of years anyway. Well, well listen, that's, that's, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear there's some kind of a possible um, yeah. you know solution so i appreciate the advice and yeah. i'll try that then. thank you for, for reminding me of this uh, thing that now i lack in my life i have to find another couple of cherry trees to keep an eye on and see if they mm -hmm. are losing their leaves and note that for my, myself as well
Well, there you go. Okay. And what's the, what's the name of the fungus again? It's just called Cherry Tree Leaf Spot. If you go on my website, I'll show you pictures. <laughs> I've oh, got the pictures of those trees on my website, uh, Cherry I'll Tree Leaf Spot. All right. We enjoy your show, Walter. Thank you, Thank you. We'll see you soon. Right, we got Scott in Athens, Georgia, who joins us this morning. Hey, Scott. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How are you? Hey, doing great, Scott. How can I help? So I've got uh, Carolina sapphire trees. Yeah, pretty tree. Pretty tree. Uh, real pretty trees. They are um, having a lot of sap at the base of the tree. And they seem to be growing well. Everything seems to be going good. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of sap at the base. And I just didn't know if that's um, safe, if, if it's okay, has it got a disease, what's going on there. When you say a lot, what does that mean, Scott? Like uh, quartz, a tablespoon? Or no, much? not quartz, nothing like that, but it's enough that it's dripping. It's all, You almost got kind of a drip to it. Yeah. Uh, now, it's a slow, very slow drip, but there's enough there that, uh, you know, there's there's something going on, it seems like at least. I don't know. Uh, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I saw that one by the street oh, about three weeks ago and thought I'd go back and look at it more closely. I saw one not long ago that had the same thing going on, and I didn't go back to see what was going on, Scott. Okay. It seemed to be pretty healthy at the time. I remember looking at it and thinking, well, it looks pretty good, but why is all that sap at the base? I wanted to see if there were borers or woodpecker damage that low on a tree or just something that wasn't visible from the street as I was driving past. So you would say right. yours is still pretty healthy looking without I mean, the sap by beside itself, but the Carolina sapphire still looks pretty good, right? Yes, sir. It's even got the, uh, you know, the, the cones, the, yeah. the round little cones that are... Yeah. Starting to you know produce that I guess that soon will be uh, regular cones. All that's happening. It looks good. It's green. It's it's got a little you know everything looks good. It's just got the sap and maybe that's maybe that's okay. Yeah, I I th- I th- for the time being, Scott, I want to say yeah, it's okay. And the okay. only thing that you could add might be if it's dry, water it so that the sap does not dehydrate the tree, which I don't think it's going to. But it wouldn't hurt if it's dry to water it. Beyond that, okay. I don't have anything to do for it because I just don't know what it is. I wish I had stopped to find the other ones, what was going on there, and I didn't. And so here I am, helpless this morning. But water <laughs> it, and we'll see if it goes through. I'm pretty sure it will. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for the help. Drive safely, Scott. We'll see you soon. Jason is in Houston, Georgia, and joins us. Hey, Jason. Good morning. Hey. Good hey. morning, Walter. How are you? Doing fine, Jason. What's up? So I'm uh, attempted to plant some trees in the summer, which probably isn't the optimal time. Ooh, no, uh, it's not the right time. Why do you want to plant them now? Man, I got a good deal on these trees, and they just <laughs> look pretty good. I'm, I'm just trying to save some money, Walter, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, keep okay. my wife happy. But uh, right. the trees I'm trying to, to plant are some uh, Cleveland Select pear trees. Yeah. I've got four of those. I've yeah. got a dogwood, uh, a red maple, and some uh, uh, arborvitaes. And I'm not sure what the best soil composition would be to uh, to mix up. I've got hard clay, got a pickaxe to get through it, yeah. and uh, obviously I want to use some of that to mix back in the native soil. But uh, I'm just not sure if topsoil is the best thing or a loamy, sandy kind of soil. Or yeah, you or know what else. the truth is, Jason. The research from arborists all over America has shown amending the soil is really not particularly beneficial for trees that you plant the tree and even in, if you got out there and just worked yourself to the bone and added a soil amendment to an area eight ten feet in diameter and planted the tree in the middle of it the roots of the tree over the next two or three years will go through that amended soil and then will attempt to penetrate the hard clay outside that area and because there's such an interface in the texture 
of the amended soil and the unamended soil outside of your place where you work, the trees will slow down and sometimes stop growing. And just sort of the roots will fill the area that you have amended. It will not try to go out any further. And therefore, a lot of the research has shown that it's not a good idea to amend the soil for trees. That you do your best to break up the soil, give it nice oxygen, breathability, and that sort of thing. But amending with organic matter is really not beneficial. Doesn't seem right for that to be the case. When we say amend the soil when you're planting flowers, when you're planting shrubs, do all that. Yeah, right. But for trees, sure. it doesn't seem to help. That's interesting. And, yeah. you know, I watch the landscapers plenty trees around here, and yeah. they don't seem to amend the soil. They dig a hole and throw it in there, and yeah, that's that. Maybe they're ahead of, the, ahead of you and me on the research, <laughs> but that's true. It doesn't really help to amend the soil. The biggest thing you can okay. do, like I say, is to break up the soil, and after you plant the tree, mulch it, mulch it, mulch it. Do not let the ground be bare underneath those trees because grass, weed, anything else that's growing underneath is a great competitor to the tree. And okay. the biggest enemy it has in the middle of the summer in July, of course, is losing so much moisture that the tree can't survive. And you want to be sure the moisture you apply stays in the soil. Okay. Very good. Um, and as far as digging the hole, you know, they recommend uh, basically two times the size of the root ball. Uh, should I go any larger? Yeah, with wide. As yeah. much as much width as your back can stand. Okay. you got so all those trees. you got four, one, three. you got a bunch of trees to plant. So... You yeah, know, if you found a big tiller or some, some helpers to hire for a day to dig the holes, you know, anything you can do to make it easy to do, because the much as much work as you put into the planting of the trees now, that's going to be paid back in years to come with the health of the tree. Not okay. to mention you yourself, Jason, got to be really sure they don't dry out. They are really going to struggle right now with uh, the heat and uh, demands on water every day. I would not, I would not uh, go. I would I would say that you're going to need at least five gallons of water per day, or at least every couple of days for every tree you got. Okay, a lot of I've water. got fourteen of them, so I'll be uh, I'll be out there uh, digging a lot of holes. All in right, and right down at the of base water, of the tree, right where the soil, where the uh, root ball is on the tree. That's where you apply the water. And what I did okay. at my house, Jason, I planted a let's see, a rising sun redbud and a big celestial dogwood back in March, April of this year. And for each one of those two trees, I have them in a place that I can see that I have a five-gallon plastic bucket with a quarter-inch hole that I drilled in the bottom of each bucket and a hose okay. that I ran permanently to each one for the summer. And so I can turn my faucet on about 20 feet away, and I have a little Y connection there that I can turn the connection to one and then to the other. I fill that five-gallon bucket up with water every day or every other day, depending on the rainfall, and drip that water right in there to the base of the tree. So every tree huh. gets five gallons of water every day or every other day, depending on temperature and rain. That's what you're That's a need. neat idea. It'll, it'll yeah. need a lot of water. Each one of those trees needs a lot of water to keep it alive, provided right at the base of the tree where the root ball is. Okay, and, and one more thing. So digging yeah. the hole wider is more beneficial than deeper? Absolutely. Or as deep as you can and wide as you can? No, wide as you can. Only as deep as the root ball of the tree. So whatever the okay. ball they're in, if it's 10, 14, you know, 16 inches deep, that's as deep as you need to go. And the okay. donut, the, the loosened soil around it, again, it can be 10 inches deep is fine. The roots will penetrate that, and then if they need to go deeper, they will in the years to come. But basically, okay. wide, 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 that's what you want. Okay, and one more thing. My son yeah. is turning eight on Monday. His name's Michael. Oh, He's great, listening Michael. in the other room, and I just want to give him a quick shout-out. Michael, happy birthday to you, my friend. I hope someday he becomes a tree planter. He can go out there and turn the faucet on and off, Dad. He can make him get, you know, be That's his right. job to water the trees. 
He's out there helping me dig the hole yesterday. You saw what kind of hard work is in the planting of trees. Yeah. And he can bring uh, the the iced tea and the lemonade back and forth to you, too. That's a great kid. Yeah. Put him to work. There you go. Well, thanks, Walter. I appreciate it, and I uh, love the show. Yeah, Jason. Thanks for calling. We'll see you soon. It's 748 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, 60% chance of scattered storms. This will be mostly in the afternoon. High of 88, low of 73 overnight. Mostly cloudy today. Tomorrow, 60% chance again. But high of 87, low of 74. And again, clouds pretty much throughout the day. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Let's go to Carol at Ackworth. Carol, hey, good morning. Good morning. I really enjoy your show. Well, thank and you. I want to ask you a question. I have a very small side yard. I'm in a condo. I bought a small red Japanese maple and planted it, and it was a beautiful red, and now it's changing to a green. Yeah, a and muddy, uh, muddy what, red green. Yeah, go ahead. Am I doing something wrong? No, no? of course not. You're learning. That's what you have to do. I'm learning. I'm learning. Here's okay. what you're learning. It will do it every year. Whenever it gets above 90, 90 degrees is about where it starts turning. Um, uh-huh. Most of the red foliage Japanese maples do this. And it's simply a function of temperature. The higher temperatures and the pigments that are in the leaves get washed out and they're no longer as red and vibrant as they used to be. They turn back uh-huh. to green. They uh, chlorophyll cells sort of mask the red. Uh, 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 what do they call it? I well, it the name of the red cells. Red again in yeah. the spring? Or? No, this fall. As soon as it cools off and stays cool for a week or two or so, then the leaves uh-huh. will gradually turn back to that nice red. By oh, the fall, okay, that's, before, that's the, before the leaves fall off the tree, they'll all be red. You'll say, wow, look at uh-huh. my Japanese maple. It's so pretty. You know, I was very worried here. about this tree. I would sit up and worry about this thing. Now, also, you talked about English ivy. Yeah. I planted some along the fence area I have here, and it all died. Now, is there is there too much sun, too much water? One is I just wanted to grow up the fence, a little fenced yeah. area. Not many things kill English ivy, but there are a couple of leaf spot diseases that happen when it gets real wet. And if it's in full sun, it doesn't particularly care for full sun until it's pretty well okay. established in some place. So I'm not I sure think. what so it just caused it. Okay. But, uh, okay. And when's the best, best time to plant hydrangeas? Uh, fall. Trees and, and fall. shrubs and things like that. Sometimes when it's cooled off, October's a great time to do it then. So try to do okay. it in the fall if you can. And to prune them, when did you say to prune them? If prune you have the to prune them. The hydrangeas prune now. But the okay. uh, crepe myrtles and things like that, you prune those during the wintertime. I think that's a good time to think about pruning them. It says it's 7.57 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. We'll be back after news. <laughs> 